We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. A Chinese aircraft carrier blocks access to the island of Taiwan. Can they actually take over the island and sustain those lanes? And the answer is no. The Dalai Lama forced to apologize after a controversial video of the spiritual leader with a child goes viral. Sorry is absolutely uh, the inappropriate word to use here. Americans are worried about a potential credit crunch according to a new survey. All that did was inject massive amounts of fiscal stimulus into an economy that didn't need it. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Tuesday, April 11th. I'm Mike Scott. While China said that their recent military drills around Taiwan had ended, on Monday, the island nation said It detected 12 Chinese warships and 91 aircraft surrounding their island. The military drills from Beijing began on Saturday after Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen met with U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy in California. Now, Taiwan considers itself a sovereign state. However, China believes that Taiwan is a breakaway province that will eventually be brought under Beijing's control. Chinese President Xi Jinping has repeatedly stated that he would use force if necessary. The Chinese military confirmed in a statement that it had participated in exercises. It said fighter planes loaded with live ammunition had carried out multiple waves of simulated strikes on so-called important targets. Meanwhile, a U.S. official said that the Biden administration was watching China's actions and said Beijing's antics around the Taiwan Strait are undermining peace and stability in the region. As a result, the U.S. sent a guided missile destroyer through contested parts of the South China Sea. Lieutenant Colonel James Carafano, leading expert on national security and foreign policy challenges, joined the Salem Radio Network and explains why Taiwan is of strategic importance to the U.S. We ought to start with, you know, why do we care about Taiwan? And and that's not funny. It is, it is a serious issue. Um, Taiwan's, it's not about chips and it's not about democracy or anything. Taiwan is the the crucial island in what's called the first island chain. And 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 this is essentially if China controlled everything from the South China Seas through Taiwan, essentially the United States would cease to become an Asian power. I mean it's, they could lock us out of Asia. And 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 I think that's intolerable to the United States. Uh, so the 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 challenge has always been is is both the United States and China have a vital interest in Taiwan. China's always wanted to reclaim Taiwan, and the United States has never wanted 
China to be able to reclaim Taiwan. Carafano explains how the U.S. and China maintain the status quo without going to war. The way we've maintained the status quo over many decades is we've each kind of agreed in our own way not to challenge the other country's vital interests. And as long as that status quo remains, uh, there won't be a conflict over Taiwan. But when that status quo is violated, there actually probably would be a conflict over Taiwan. And so the answer to the question is, you know, how do we prevent China from taking Taiwan and how do we not have a war is we continue to deter China from thinking they have the military capacity and capability to take over the island. The foreign policy expert says that America making sure that China doesn't control the shipping lanes around Taiwan is one of the biggest deterrents against an invasion. What's really crucial about limiting the ability of the Chinese to take Taiwan is the Sea of Taiwan, right? So if they can't maintain crossing that sea and bringing over troops and ammunition and logistics and airplanes and everything else, then they can't control Taiwan. So America's critical contribution to the defense of Taiwan is not allowing uh, China to control the sea lanes that link Taiwan and the mainland. And so that's our main contribution, not putting troops on the ground in Taiwan. That's just kind of stupid. Carafano says that the U.S. should not put troops in Taiwan, as that would cross a red line for Beijing. As a matter of fact, that that's actually a red line. I mean, we um, the, the 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 kind of unstated status quo is we would never put troops there to actually defend Taiwan. And if we actually did do that, that's actually something that would might. I think there's two things that the Chinese would see as just an intolerable red line. One is if American troops are actually put in Taiwan for the defense of Taiwan. Um, and the other one is, is if, if Taiwan declared independence. These are what the Chinese have stated both publicly and in private for many, many decades. And so I assume that those are still probably the two key red lines from, from their perspective. According to Carafano, some pundits overestimate China's military capabilities and says that, in his opinion, right now, the U.S. is still a dominant military force. What the Chinese look at in, in, in looking at the correlation of forces is, can the United States prevent China from deploying, from controlling the sea lanes and the air lanes between Taiwan and China? That's the key thing that they look at. And I think the answer today is, that's a, that's a very risky proposition for them. I mean, people run these war games all the time. We, matter of fact, we just ran a war. We run one every year on Taiwan. And, and invariably, can the Chinese cross the waters? Yes. Can they put troops actually physically in Taiwan? Yes. Can they actually take over the island and sustain those lanes if the United States and other countries try to prevent them? And the answer is no. Now, that may change five, ten years from now as the United States, I mean, if we don't keep up with China, as China's military continues to grow, um, and they may gain the confidence to do that. But the Chinese just witnessed in Ukraine what happens when you think you're going to have a short, quick, decisive war, and it doesn't turn out that way. Uh, and the Chinese you don't want to, wouldn't want to risk that in Taiwan. Carafano believes that China would rather not fight despite their saber-rattling. They they do have a doctrine, and 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 their idea is, is called you know 
winning without fighting. I mean, it goes back to the days of Sun Tzu. They would prefer that things just go their way. And if you look, the Chinese have fought one, well, big war with us, and that was the Korean War, and it didn't end well. They fought a war with the Vietnamese, and it didn't end well. Um, they've had border skirmishes with the Indians, and it didn't end well. They've never actually achieved significant, outside of China, significant military success, and they would prefer not to fight. They would prefer to have things just fall in their lap. So I do think that China still thinks that they can intimidate their way in the Taiwan just falling in their lap, or the Chinese will elect a government, which will just fall into their lap. And as long as those are very, very real possibilities, I, I don't think risking World War III is, is on the menu. Some analysts suggest that such military exercises from China may have a diminishing impact of intimidation over time. Police say four were killed at a Louisville bank shooting Monday morning, along with the shooter. Two officers are among those injured at the old National Bank in Louisville. One had just graduated from the academy. More on this developing story from Daybreak Insider's Julie Walker. Louisville police say the shooter was inside the old National Bank when he exchanged gunfire with them. An emotional governor, Andy Bashir, says he banks there. This is awful. I have a very close friend that didn't make it today. And I have another close friend who didn't either, and one who's at the hospital. Deputy Police Chief Paul Humphrey says it's unclear if police killed the shooter or he took his own life, but it was a lone shooter and an isolated incident having to do with the bank. I don't know if it was an active employee or a former employee, but the shooter did have a connection. Audio courtesy WHAS, the mayor saying the community will support each other and work to end gun violence. This is the 15th mass killing in the country this year. I'm Julie Walker. The Dalai Lama, who is the holiest figure in Tibetan Buddhism, has been forced to issue an apology after videos surfaced of the spiritual leader kissing a young boy on the lips and asking him to suck his tongue at an event in India. And suck my tongue. <laughs> the video prompted a massive backlash for what many believe to be inappropriate behavior with a child. Others called it scandalous and disgusting. The controversy prompted an apology from the office of the Dalai Lama, who said his behavior had been, quote, innocent and playful, end quote. Leland Vinnert of News Nation, however, believes that sorry isn't enough in this instance. Sometimes sorry just isn't enough. Sometimes behavior is so disgusting, so depraved, we just can't look past it. And what we are going to show you is upsetting. But it is important to see and important to talk about because we have all seen this script before, not with the Dalai Lama, but with others. So here is the Dalai Lama, the spiritual leader of the Tibetan people, a man who says he stands for peace and compassion, kissing a young boy and in his words, in the Dalai Lama's words, asking the young boy to, quote, suck on his tongue. And everybody laughed. Happened in an event in northern India where the Dalai Lama is in exile. A post on his official Twitter account offers an apology to the boy and his family, goes on to say his holiness often teases people he means in an innocent and playful way. The controversial event took place in late February at the Dalai Lama's temple, 
which was attended by young students. Mike McDonald is the director of the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests and, after watching the video, believes that what is seen in the video may not be a first for the spiritual leader. I think that this is one of those cases where sorry is absolutely uh, the inappropriate word to use here. In fact, it's a minimizing word, and it's trying to sanitize something that was truly sickening, as you described, to watch. We're witnessing what most could view as an innocent young boy coming forward who wanted a hug, uh, wanted some interaction with the Dalai Lama as a visitor. And instead, uh, he got something that the Dalai Lama was probably a predilection, in my opinion. McDonald explains why he believes that the Dalai Lama must have known what he was doing wrong. Because if you take a look at the, the face of the Dalai Lama prior to him asking to uh, have his, you suck my tongue, uh, he had a grimace on his face and almost one of those guilty hard swallows that he knew uh, this was wrong. And I, I, I'm not a, a profiler, but I certainly have done enough work when it comes to abuse cases worldwide to be able to see that there was something significant, significantly wrong with this. The Survivors Network director goes on to say that he's curious how many other instances have gone unreported. Well, this is one of those scenarios where we have read through many secular investigations worldwide, and we read through these case files, and oftentimes church officials or institutional officials will just write them off as ministerial misconduct or a superior's misconduct. This was not misconduct. Uh, I'm, I'm one of those in belief that uh, I'll admit to one thing to cover up a thousand. And that's what I'm viewing here. That quick apology didn't come after the act. It came when the video was set loose. And therefore, he had to put some type of a reaction. But again, that was a minimizing statement. And really, he did not even detail or itemize what he did. I'd like to know how many other playful acts or inappropriate things that the Dalai Lama has done that has gone undercover. This isn't the first time that the Dalai Lama has faced controversy. In 2019, he caused an outcry after suggesting that if the Dalai Lama returned as a woman, she should be more attractive, for which his office apologized. While the Justice Department appeals a Texas judge's ruling that halts the use of a common abortion pill, some states like Massachusetts are taking steps to work around the federal court order. Daybreak Insider's Jackie Quinn has more on these latest developments in the fight for abortion pill access. We are not going to tolerate this. Massachusetts Governor Maura Healey, a Democrat, signed an executive order that confirms that medication abortion, including mifeprestone, remains protected under Massachusetts state law. 
In anticipation that conservatives would try to block those pills, she ordered thousands of doses to be stockpiled. If her executive order will hold up if the federal courts ban the use of mefepristone, Governor Healy says a woman's right to an abortion will be won in the states, and that's what you see happening here. The White House says it expects the argument will wind up before the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm Jackie Quinn. A new survey by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York is showing that Americans are worried about inflation and a credit crunch, particularly after the recent failures of banks like Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank of New York, and Silvergate. In a credit crunch, banks raise their lending standards, making it harder for consumers to borrow money, which, in turn means that there will be less spending for big-ticket items, not only by consumers, but by businesses as well. The survey suggests that consumers believe that inflation will remain high for a few years, estimating that inflation will hover around 2.8% three years from now. In contrast, Central bankers projected in their latest economic forecast that inflation will fall to 2.5% next year. Meanwhile, Chairman Jerome Powell warns that central bankers need to be on high alert for signs that Americans expect inflation to rise, which, he suggests, is a sign that inflation is entrenched in the economy. Republican Representative Byron Daniels of Florida joined the Trish Regan show on the Salem Podcast Network and dives into the current state of the U.S. economy. Washington has actually made matters worse with the massive overspending in response to COVID-19. And I know at the time people were concerned about our economy, the CARES Act, etc., uh, but the stuff that Joe Biden did, the American Rescue Plan, the Inflation Reduction Act, or like I like to call it, the Green New Deal's little brother, because that's really what the bill is. Um, you know, all those spending items that they did and they put together, all that did was inject massive amounts of fiscal stimulus into an economy that didn't need it. Um, our economy in 2021 was already ready to get back on it because states were beginning to reopen. People were going back to work. People had money in their bank accounts because of COVID stimulus uh, through the CARES Act. And there was pent up demand for people just to travel, live life again. All these things were going to happen. And then we dumped in another two and a half trillion dollars of federal spending. Daniel says that the U.S. debt is a large problem that needs to be addressed. If you look at what the president's budget proposal is, and his budget's dead on arrival, But his budget proposal would have us move to $52 trillion in debt over a decade. You know, at some point, even America, as strong as our economy is, as dynamic as it is, at some point, we're going to struggle with repaying this, with repaying, forget the debt itself, the interest. We're estimating that interest payments, CBO's estimates, are $1.5 trillion by, by by 2033. You know, that's more than we spend on the military today. It's more than we spend on domestic programs today. That would just go to paying interest on the debt. And if you have us having to spend so much money just to make interest payments to the bond markets, it squeezes out so many other things in our economy. That would actually be uh, really it would be problematic for our for our nation. And so then what happens to the rating of our Treasury bonds? That's why I would say if you're looking super long term, 25 year outlook, 20 year outlook, maybe gold is better than treasuries. 
The Florida congressman explains that while he and his Republican colleagues want to negotiate on the debt ceiling, President Biden does not. We're going to get this thing worked out. I mean, Republicans and I'm a Freedom Caucus member. uh, We are having many discussions right now and nobody in our conference has said anything close to, you know, we're going to not extend the debt ceiling uh, because, you know, we're, we're not even in that conversation. We know we're going to extend it. What we're trying to do is make sure that we have uh, substantial cuts to federal spending, you know, in year one. I mean, we just say, let's go back to pre-COVID spending levels. That just makes sense since the pandemic is over. Let's (laughs) do that. That saves about two and a half to three trillion over a 10-year window. And then let's continue to do the other work to get our budget in line. The problem is Joe Biden doesn't want to negotiate. And, you know, people say, well, you guys got to try to come to terms with him or do a clean debt ceiling. Well, Joe Biden could have had his clean debt ceiling. He could have done it when Nancy Pelosi was speaker. He chose not to. He chose to have a political fight right now. And we're not going to play that game. So I anticipate we're going to do our work. We're going to continue to do it and, and try to get that done. Looking forward, Daniels believes that with new presidential leadership, America will finally be able to address its debt problem. I think longer term, in terms of defaulting on the debt, if you read any report, Moody's, S&P, whatever, they talk about Congress's ability to extend the debt ceiling, but they also talk about Congress's ability to be financially responsible long term. And so I do think that they're, that cooler heads are going to prevail. I think probably with different presidential leadership, cooler heads are going to prevail. We're going to get the fiscal house of the nation back in order so that our engine, our economy, the thing that makes everything else go can hum and thrive, be the dominant uh, economy in the world uh, on a continuing basis, and Americans can succeed. And finally... Can we go from French fries to a fit guy? That's what we're finding out. 100 days of nothing but McDonald's. Let's go. Kevin McGinnis, a 238-pound man, has gone viral on social media on the app TikTok, for his vow to eat nothing but McDonald's in his 100-day quest to lose weight. So far, he's already shed more than 12 pounds. Kevin McGinnis from Nashville has quickly become a viral TikTok sensation for documenting his very unique diet journey. He's eating, as you heard, nothing but McDonald's for 100 straight days, Chanel. And so far, he says he's loving it. McGinnis, who is from Nashville announced that he would be having meals from the fast food chain for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the next three months. I woke up this morning and I weighed in at 238 pounds and I decided that that is absolutely unacceptable. So I drove down to McDonald's. I'm gonna eat nothing but McDonald's for the next 100 days. But instead of eating everything they give me, I'm gonna go ahead and cut the meals in half. According to McGinnis's plan, While he may have three meals from McDonald's each day, he cuts the meals in half, saving part of the meal for later. For example, with a Big Mac meal, he'll eat only half of the burger and half of the fries with only water to wash it down. McGinnis then saves the leftovers for the following day so that nothing is wasted. Ten days into the challenge, McGinnis revealed that he had lost a total of 12 and a half pounds and was down to 225 pounds. 
Absolutely working. Where did Absolutely. you come up with this idea? So the idea of restricting calories anytime I've lost weight in my life has been, always been. I, I actually was a wrestler. I boxed in the military. So there's times you have to make weight and you cut calories. So the idea of having a way to track it, attack it, have a plan, cut it in half, and then let's see what the results were. McGinnis believes his version of the McDonald's diet will prove that portion control is what matters when it comes to weight loss. So I, my belief is we'll be down 50 pounds by the end. Oh my my health will be better. My blood work will be better. And if you don't believe me, follow along. Let's find out. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott.